right. I and I, I can't talk about Avengers because, uh, and no. neither can you, because no. we're still under embargo as we're recording this. Yes. But, uh, you know. We've already said too much. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're still going to rope Mark into doing a little something before he leaves here. He's, he's here with his girlfriend. Yes. So this time is, time is of the essence. I also want to point out that Tim has Barbarella playing on the screen behind us. <laughs> Volume down. Uh, I have about, uh, I think I have six televisions of various different sizes uh, scattered about my house. All of them are on right now. <laughs> it's uh, just... And they're all on something different. Uh, movie channels. I mean, look uh, at that. Old... There he is, carrying her oh away. It's so wonderful. Raja Vadim. Yeah. Can't, she can't... was married to at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My goodness. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, no Netflix news this week. No. Enough. <laughs> it's a new beginning for us. Uh, but uh, a lot of other interesting things are, are obviously uh, in the works. Uh, Cannes Film Festival is coming up very soon. Yeah. So we will see what happens there. A lot. Of I suppose that's the Netflix news that no Netflix yeah. films will be there. You know, old, old news at this point, but nevertheless still news. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we're it's uh, we're gonna have a like I think like we said last week. You know, in ten years, this business is gonna look entirely different, and it's gonna happen in leaps and bounds. So uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens by the end of this year. I'm still trying to get hold of uh, the people at Movies Anywhere to give me some more answers, but I think what I talked about last week too is uh, is probably the reason why they're so mum, mm. because I think all of that movie, I think Movies Anywhere is going to get roped into the whole Disney ecosystem. Mm. I think into the broader Disney ecosystem, and uh, I think that's uh, going to be part of their Netflix killer or their attempt at it. <laughs> Wondering what that's going to be priced. What do you think that'll be priced? You think it'll be a uh, it has to be. I mean, they're, they're going to. It they're has gonna... to live within that zone of Netflix, Hulu, uh, whatever it is that yeah. Amazon Prime divides out to. Over, but it's not going to be less over... than Netflix. Uh, it's going to be no. a little more. Yeah. I'm going to say. I'm going to say their their feeling is if you want access to, you know, Snow White and Frozen and Beauty and the Beast uh, on tap, mm. um, we're going to make you pay twelve ninety nine. See, it's funny because don't forget when uh, a homie who runs Netflix tried yeah. to do that uh, tiered yeah. uh, pricing thing, yeah. and how that came back to hurt him deeply. That almost yeah. did that company in. Yeah, and so I don't think there's very much elasticity in the price points for these things. Yeah, my mind breaks. My mind, uh, my wallet uh, yeah. breaks at nine ninety nine. Um, uh, yeah. Seriously, if it's more than nine ninety nine, I reflexively will not do it. Yeah, um, I six ninety nine. I will almost do anything. Four ninety nine. I will do anything. <laughs> Which, by the way, if they are listing, sometimes going the other way is the smart thing to do. Yeah, and I don't. And I know the numbers. Um, you know, twelve ninety nine. You do that. You 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 count the number of people uh, who buy the service. You make X number of billion dollars. If you do something like six ninety nine. Yeah. And suddenly now you get me because you're going to lose me at twelve ninety nine. Disney, Disney never goes that no, direction. Never goes that direction. They never go that direction. And, but they, I, they would get me, and, and I just think that the, yeah. you know some of these companies should think about it like that. If, if we go the other way, how many more people will we get? Uh, yeah. Then, but then, but you know, but everything you know, they, they do what they do. Yep. Well, anyway, we have a giveaway this week. We've got a little bit of listener mail, and uh, we will get uh, to all of that in time. But first, right out of the gate, I'm going to uh, touch on some anime. And uh, we're going to start off with Mary and the Witch's Flower. Oh, so good. Which does not come to us from an anime house. This comes to us from Universal. 
uh, with Movies Anywhere, and as we were just talking about, that you can add this to your Movies Anywhere uh, digital locker. And Mary and the Witch's Flower is one of the increasingly uh, more commercial anime releases that are that are coming out every year from G Kids. G Kids yeah. is the is the company that has kind of become the go to animation distributor. That's what they do. They're a, they're a distributor uh, theatrically of international animation and most of it typically is anime every year but when we get that g kids packet for our award season uh it's it's uh, you know it always has a lot of really interesting stuff in mm-hmm. it sometimes french and irish and everything else so uh that's always really interesting um still uh, you know they the the but they release through universal and uh the films that they keep picking up the the animated uh, the, an- the the japanese anime films are consistently now really interesting. They're not. They're not like the other anime stuff I'm going to mention, which typically comes to us from Funimation and Section Twenty Three and uh, and Right Stuff. Uh, they 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 have a, they tend to have a very Western flavor and uh, their Western subject matter, and uh, they they do they they really they they they. They, they, they do well. It's really smart. It's a very smartly run company. So Mary and the Witch's Flower, they went and did new voice tracks for this. They went and dubbed it over with, uh, this is from director uh, Hiro, Hiromasa Yonabayashi, uh, who's done many, many terrific films, uh, like, uh, you know, when Marnie was there and uh, was he worked on uh, Spirited Away as well. Yeah. And they went and got some really good voice talent for this. Kate Winslet and Jim Broadbent perfectly give it that that perfect European flavor. It's really tremendous. Um, this is basically uh, you know a, a a European story about a young girl who lives with her great aunt, uh, and it turns out that her great aunt um, might actually be more than she appears to be, mm-hmm. and we get into Harry Potter territory pretty well, soon. Well, that opening sequence—it's beautiful. It's right? absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. Yeah. A uh, little girl uh, yeah. being chased by these sort of wibbly wobbly scary yeah. things and this scary old woman, yeah. and uh, and she has this flaming red hair and she's running and running. It's also fluid and fast. Yeah. It's just wonderful. And she leaps yeah. off that. Tr- and man, I, you know, I'm sitting at the edge of my yeah. chair and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I'm completely in all animation. But you know what's interesting about it? It is not remotely Pixar-ish no. in any way. Mm-hmm. Yet it captivated me and had me in a knot. Uh, for most of the uh, this movie, and you know, I, it's my thing about animation. Animation, anime, animation yeah. should look like a cartoon, man. Yeah, and uh, I, in many respects, I actually like this better than Harry Potter. Yeah, uh, it's it's really it's wonderful, and a lot of great bonus features on here. There's a press conference, and uh, you know, a little special from NTV on the uh, the making of the film, which is really really rewarding uh and they have a conversation with the yonabayashi as well which is great so uh mary and the witch's flower highly highly recommended blu-ray dvd and uh uh movies anywhere that comes to us from studio ponak and then uh other anime here now we're getting into a little more traditional stuff uh from the sente and let, let me sort this out hold on a second here we got two from sente uh, the first one is Atom, the beginning, the complete collection. Uh, you know, this is this is this is good, uh, but it's very very specialized. It's very very. Um, uh, let's say if you're if you're an anime historian, this will mean probably a great more to you, uh, because it ties into the history of Astro Boy. And uh, it, 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 if you're not really like an Astro Boy aficionado, it'll, it'll, you'll, you won't 
really quite know what to make of a lot of this. A lot of the inside stuff, the inside baseball stuff will really kind of uh, miss you. Uh, but otherwise, if you are into Astro Boy, uh, this is fascinating stuff. And it really is. It, it makes itself part of the universe in a in a really intriguing way. So um, I won't I won't I don't want to give anything away because I know there are Astro Boy fans out there. But uh, this is this is really very cool. And then um, here's something totally off the wall. Complete collection uh, season one of Classicaloid. Now, classical, that's classical with O-I-D at the end, like droid, classicaloid. Um, musical classicaloid. Uh, this is just totally off the wall stuff. This gets into that. Uh, this is part of that high school oriented subgenre of anime again. Everything you know, where where it's all the politics of uh, of what goes on in schools. Very often, it centers around athletics and uh, you know clubs and cliques and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is a musical themed thing, hence classical, the classical classicaloid. And um, it's very, very odd. The These two strange figures here who call themselves classicaloids uh, are, they, they have powers. Um, and the power is related to their music. And it can do all kinds of really weird cosmic stuff. <laughs> and you got these kids who are learning, you know, classical music and now they're finding out the classical music may tie into some kind of magical power stuff. It's very weird. And uh, it all, it's, you know, like Beethoven and Chopin and everything. It's all part of this in a very weird way. I Sometimes I wonder if, if there are drugs on the, on the Japanese <laughs> islands that, you know, the rest of the world doesn't have. Anyway, it's very off the wall. But um, it's very aggressive and interesting and, and cool all at the same time. Uh, Digimon Adventure Try is out with a new installment. This is called Loss. Continues to be more of the same, pretty much. This is from uh, the people at Shout. Uh, used to come to us from uh, Cinedime. It's now over with Shout. But uh, this is, you know, it's it's another really cool Digimon movie. If you like that whole robotic world, uh, it's it's similar in many respects to uh, you know the, all the other giant robot and uh, cyberpunk stuff that uh, that happens. So uh, Digimon Adventure Try. The new installment is Loss. And then lastly, this is uh, this is great. This is more Mobile Suit Gundam, more the the Gundam universe. This is from uh, Sunrise, which is uh, released by Right Stuff. And you can always get those stuff from Right Stuff over at rightstuffanime.com. That's stuff with one F. So rightstuff, S-T-U-F, anime.com is where you can uh, always get the stuff uh, from Right Stuff. The Right Stuff from Right Stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is a mobile suit Gundam Age. I know if you if you're following <laughs> Gundam, you're like uh, there are 27 different Gundam storylines and threads, and I can't keep track of all of it. And the universe is just too huge. It's like it's okay, just settle down, pick one. It all kind of falls into place. It's all worthwhile. Uh, Gundam is is a is maybe the most elaborate self-contained universe I I anywhere in in animation or live action. It's pretty great. And uh, it all makes a lot more sense than anything Power Rangery because none of those things ever make any sense. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is all taking place in the year AG, uh, which stands for Advanced Generation One Hundred One. And uh, there's a space colony that gets attacked by something mysterious. 
And of course, now we you know get into the uh, the Gundamization of it. It's very well told. It's uh, you know not it's not as well animated as some other Gundam, but it's uh, it's certainly really really well written and conceived. So a lot of interesting stuff there. That is our anime for the week. Good, 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 good. You want to knock off a few? What do we got? Over we got here? Uh, well, we have a ton of foreign. Uh, uh, I've separated it in, into uh, East West because a lot of it is is Asian. <laughs> well, you know, you got yeah. to. It's a lot of it is Asian this week. So uh, I want to give that kind of its own profile. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about some of the. Let's go to foreign. Okay, let's do some yeah, foreign uh, stuff. Knock, knock off a couple of those if you would. Yeah. So um, we've got uh, from Eclipse. Uh, the Eclipse line of the Criterion Collection. Uh, this is great. Ingrid Bergman's Swedish Years. You know, so many great talents in Hollywood came from other countries. And it, Hollywood has always been a really, uh, you know, even though it's the American film industry, it's always been a great aggregator of talent from yeah. overseas. And uh, people are not often exposed to what a lot of that talent did before they came here. Like, you ever seen anything that Michael Curtiz did mm. before he came to Hollywood? No, you just know Casablanca. Uh, anybody ever seen those Billy Wilder movies that he did in Germany? Well, you know, uh, Milos Forman just passed away, and most yeah. people haven't seen Fireman's Ball. No, they haven't. Uh, uh, but they know, you know. Yeah, yeah they yeah, know yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. but so, he, he was a filmmaker before. Yes, yeah. he was. And uh, so Ingrid Bergman is certainly one of the big ones. In Ingrid Bergman was in, in a huge star uh, before she came to the United States. Ingrid Bergman's Swedish years are now summed up in a th uh, six films that they put together in this really great box set, and those films are The Count of the Old Town, Walpurgis Night, Intermezzo, which of course has a, has a Hollywood version as well, Dollar, A Woman's Face, and June Night. Uh, all of them really, really inter interesting films. Um, Intermezzo, of course, is is the most interesting because it they yeah. would remake, she would play the same part in the American remake, Kind of like uh, Depardieu did in uh, My Father the Hero, except yeah. that film isn't worth remaking. But uh, Intermezzo, yes, the Hollywood version is splashier and and probably better, but this one is really, really good, too. It's still, you know, a wonderful, wonderful film, and it's it's great to see her actually speaking in Swedish. Um, my favorite of all of these is probably uh, The Count of the Old Town, which is, was Bergman's first speaking role. And uh, it's just a, it's a it's a really really fun movie. She plays a um, a chambermaid who is uh, uh, seduced by a jewel thief, and it's it's light and it's funny and it's mm. fun and completely unSwedish because Swedish movies are usually about people just suffering in winter. You know, there are very few Swedish movies that are actually fun, and uh, this is one of them. It's very very fun. Also, a great one here is uh, a woman's face, which is a thriller, and June Night. Which is uh, kind of uh, kind of a kind of a, a, bit, a bit trashy melodrama in some ways, but uh, all really good. Ingrid Bergman, Swedish Years from Eclipse, and a similarly great boxed set is Sasha Gitri, Four Films. Uh, Sasha Gitri, I had uh, w was a filmmaker that was introduced to me in film school. Oddly enough, yeah. I was not familiar with Sasha Gitri necessarily. Uh, until I took my European cinema class, and uh, we were introduced to uh, a filmmaker who's basically a contemporary of Renoir, mm -hmm. but who didn't make the big heavy films like Renoir made. Renoir made, you know, intense heavy films. Sasha Guitry made wonderful uh, light films, and they're clever, and uh, it's kind of light comedy, and it's really great. He was a he was a, a stage director and a stage and a playwright as well, and uh, kind of brought all of that to the to the French cinema in the 1930s, 
And um, there are some just wonderful, wonderful Sasha Guitry films. Uh, the four films here um, are not necessarily uh, his best, but they're all really, really good. There's The New Testament, My Father Was Right, uh, Let's Make a Dream, and then Let's Go Up the Champs-Élysées. And uh, that last one is probably the best of this. Let's Go Up the Champs-Élysées is, you know, essentially the history of the Champs-Élysées with, uh, with, with Guitry uh, acting in the film as well. Um, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's... All of these are based on theatrical things that he did. They're all based on stage productions that he did previously, but um, they're all wonderful, and uh, there are some great extras on here. This is from Arrow uh, Academy. And uh, maybe the best thing on, on here are the uh, the interviews that they have with Francis Weber and uh, Pascal Thomas, who talk about why Guitry was important and how he influenced many generations of filmmakers. And anything Francis Weber has to say is worth uh, is worth paying attention to. There's also um, a new introduction from uh, Jeanette Vincendo, who is an expert on French film, and uh, a 60-page booklet with lots of great essays and pictures and all kinds of fun stuff. So, uh, Sasha Guitry, four films, 1936 to 1938, from Arrow Academy. Uh, for any French film buff, you're gonna, you're gonna absolutely gonna just have a heyday with that. Uh, from Criterion, as long as we're on the elite line here, The Color of Pomegranates. Now, uh, oh hopefully, so isn't it great? Uh, here's the thing about the, the color pomegranates. It's, this was previously not a, um, a Criterion release. This was previously part of the films of Sergei Parajanov box set from Kino that was released 10 years ago. Mm. And um, that has been kind of a, a holy grail for a lot of people because Sergei Parajanov is a very difficult filmmaker to see his movies. Uh, Parajanov's films are uh, primarily they, they you know they focus very heavily on Armenian culture and uh, they are kind of on the fringe of a particular class of of Russian slash Soviet cinema from the from the sixties and the seventies and um, the Color of Pomegranates is is maybe the most famous of his films. Uh, so I'm thrilled that Criterion has this. I am hoping that at some point. They get to the others, which uh, from that box set, which are Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, The Legend of Surum Fortress, which is great, and um, uh, Ashik Karib. Those are the other films. But The Color of Pomegranates is the one that most people typically know. It's 78 minutes long. It's a, it's a breezy, breezy watch in a lot of different languages from the region, from the Caucasus, and uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. It uh, all takes place. It centers around a troubadour by the name of Sayat Nova in the 18th century, and um, kind of profiles and then follows his, 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 uh, his troubadour journeys. Anyway, it is a, it's, a, it's really a, it's a, a much more, um, I don't want to say it's surrealistic. It's more poetic. It's almost mm. more, I don't want to even say it's magical realism, but it is a much more poetic film than what you get from that era. And it, it ran into all kinds of trouble with the Soviet authorities. And uh, so anyway... A lot of different cuts have existed. This is the one that they claim is closest to his original uh, cut. I'm going to trust the people at Criterion because I trust them with anything. This is part of a new 4K restoration, and uh, it, it's really, it's really, really terrific. Uh, lots of great extras on here. People, you know, discussing his work and video essays, and it's, uh, you know, there's even a um, documentaries from two, 1977 and 2003 on uh, Sayat Nova and Parajanov. Uh, it's great. 
It's a, it's a great film. This is one of the most important Criterion releases of the year. So highly, highly recommended. Wow. And then lastly, we got uh, on my little bit here from IndiePix. We have the IndiePix Festival Favorites, Volumes 4 and 5. IndiePix tends to take... Uh, these, some of these films that have, uh, you know, maybe not be so much on the radar in their library, and they put them together into uh, festival favorite packages, three apiece. And uh, volume four is Soldat Jeanette, which is really, really good, along with So Bright is the View, which is a Romanian film. And uh, they put that along with uh, Blast, which is uh, probably the, the, the most powerful of the films in this lot. Blast is a uh, Greek-German-Dutch co-production from 2014. Uh, the, uh, and then Volume 5 adds these three films, Entre No, which uh, was a big deal at a lot of festivals, the, uh, that, that Girl in Yellow Boots by Anurag Kashyap, which was at the Toronto Film Festival, uh, a couple of years ago, and then uh, Jermal, which was also a big festival uh, hit from Indonesia. So uh, those six films would not be on your radar if not for the IndiePix Festival Favorites thing, and I'm going to recommend all six of these. Um, we're, we're, we've got a lot to talk about this week, so I don't have time to get into each of these individually, but Entrenaux was a big deal. The Girl in Yellow Boots was a big deal. Jermal was kind of off the radar a little bit. It's worth discovering. Indonesian cinema is really, really interesting. And uh, of the other one, uh, you know what? Uh, I had not seen um, uh, So Bright is the View, the uh, Romanian film. But it's it. You know, I'm I'm up and down on Romanian films, and this mm, one is uh, yeah. this one I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm up on. I I thought it was really really interesting. It's not it's not as uh, as kind of dull uh, and dull the, the, the and death, static. The death of the death of Mr. Lazarescu. So hate that <laughs> Chris, movie. Crispy Poo, you I think it was. I, yeah, I so hate that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Whatever. I kind of, I kind of dig that. Um, in between is a Palestinian film um, mm. that I really, really, really like. It's about these Palestinian women, um, uh, current, uh, present day, yeah. set, set present day. And and the thing about Palestine uh, is that it is a a, a country uh, that has more young people than anything. Uh, these young people uh, want to live modern Western lives, mm-hmm. but there are these zealots all yeah. around them uh, that don't want them, yeah. particularly the older men. And, and it's about how these women try to deal with this thing. If you look at the if you look at the cover of the box, it's right there. You have a woman with a hijab on, and then you have another woman standing there in a leather jacket, smoking yeah. a <laughs> smoking a yeah. joint, smoking something. And you have another woman standing there, uh, and it's about taboo breaking. And it's about the pressures of society, and it really, really is good. There was a wonderful movie called Head On that. I think. Oh, um, yes. The, 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 that's the German Turkish. Fati, Fati? Fati Akin. Yeah, yeah, film. I love that movie. That German Turkish thing. Oh. Right? It was, and it lives in that vein because, you know, things yeah. happen. Things happen. So great, great, great one there. Uh, the Treasure. This movie is really quite interesting. Um, speaking of uh, 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 films, you remember, what was that wonderful movie, A Simple Plan? Yeah. Um, the Treasure kind of reminds me of A Simple Plan. Um uh, just say that say that director's name for me, if you would. Uh, Wait, here we go. We, we were just talking about Romanian. Uh, although so this I'll, is set in Corsica. This is uh, let's see by uh, Corneliu Porumboyu. Exactly. Corneliu Porumboyu. And you know okay. the film that you oh. know him from. You know him from Police Adjective. Yeah. That's yeah. the film you know him from. Yeah, that bored in, in me. In twelve oh eight, twelve oh eight, the to Bucharest. Yes, yeah, see, twelve oh eight to Buc- uh, east of Bucharest. I liked. 
police adjective, honestly, when he starts reading the dictionary, <laughs> I wanted to just strangle people. Anyway, oh, well, that's interesting. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed on him. So he, right, he, well. He, well, he would be one of the ones that we were talking about. This, this one, this yeah. one, the uh, uncertain regard uh, section at can apparently. All right, okay. Which is interesting. And yeah. anyway, it's a neat little movie. It kind of reminds me of the Simple Plan. Uh, the, the, this, this guy is strapped for money, and and and, and uh, he's told that on his family farm. There is uh, some treasure buried from a previous uh, heist yeah. years ago, and they go out there. It gets a little bit comical, and you're digging up, and they're looking around for everything. So, it's, but it's kind of a neat movie. I rather like it. Uh, and then we have uh, one of the first Merchant Ivory films. Uh, I think maybe Shakespeare Walla. Shakespeare Walla. Uh, so good from Cohen. From Cohen, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, all new 2K restoration. Absolutely beautiful film. That more or less established the sort of you know uh, ivory merchant merchant ivory dynamic for the next yeah uh, well well he well he just almost he, he just won an Oscar won, won an Oscar so until yeah. now yeah uh, uh, and um, it's just a perfectly beautiful movie it's about an, uh, a troupe of English actors roaming about India uh, performing Shakespeare uh, and but what we're really looking at is India. Yeah. Uh, at a very, very particular time, films from 1965, and India was just beginning to make that sort of transition uh, out of the very, very, very old world and into the modern world. Yeah. You had you know, pop culture there and uh, 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 young people uh, listening to rock. It's just it's a very powerful movie. Uh, and it, it is the beginning of the sort of, uh, part of the beginning of the sort of merchant ivory thing. All sorts of wonderful things on here. A conversation with the filmmakers, Ishmael Mirshan and James Ivory. Uh, it was written by their, uh, 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 their screener, Ruth uh, Prower Javala. So, uh, so, you know, wonderful, wonderful movie. I'm just kind of preoccupied with the horned woman who's, uh, and, and who, who's giving Barbarella what for right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this movie, man. Always something like that. Um, a Violent Life. Uh, now, this film uh, is is it, it's set mostly during the war, and of course, and it's about when uh, it's about this young man who flees all of that. Right, flees to war, goes to Paris. One of his comrades from the war gets killed. He has to go back. Yeah, he knows that if he goes back, he's probably going to get killed too. Right, but he's it's one of his comrades, so yeah. he has to go back. So it's about all that radical stuff, and it's a you know it's a really dark movie. This movie, and a lot of it has to do with these families, because a lot of what was going on in that war had to do with families, and you had situations yes. with families where people had actually intermarried into families, and mm -hmm. they still killed e each other. That's how so awful. That's how awful uh, that became, and a lot. So a lot of this sort of feels like that. It feels like a Gamora. Remember that movie Gamora? Oh yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me see here. Well, I got one. As long as we're talking about things that have uh, certain political ramifications, uh, the teacher, which uh, is from the uh, from film movement, uh, and directed by Jan Harabik, uh, who did Divided We Fall, which got an Oscar nomination. This is a Czech film set in 1983, full on Cold War uh, communist conflict, oppression in uh, in in what was then Czechoslovakia, mm. and uh, this is about a middle school teacher who. Uh, who who runs afoul of uh, uh, some of the parents there, and uh, she also happens to be a very uh, high-ranking uh, Communist Party official. And uh, this is about uh, how these the families of these kids cope with the fact that they're you know kind of between a rock and a hard place, and that the political the political establishment has now intruded on their kids' uh, middle school education. Mm -hmm. uh, comes with a bonus short film called Sacrilege from Switzerland and France, and uh, which also has uh, which it ties in in some similar ways, although it's uh, it's more about the uh, it's it's about the 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 current. 
uh, conflict in Europe. If you look at the mm-hmm. Cold War as the last one, the current one now is the migration and the, and the yeah. issue of you know Muslim immigrants in Europe and how are they integrated. That's what uh, that's what sacrilege uh, ties into. So the teacher by uh, Jan Hrebic and uh, Peter Yarikovsky. I'm sure I'm omitting some of the consonants in their names. <laughs> I apologize. I am not skilled in the language. Uh, I got Bad Lucky Goat here, uh, which is a really, really good little Colombian film uh, by Samir Overos, who, who made this wonderful little movie called Olga about uh, mm. you know, two or three years ago. Yeah. This movie is so neat. Um, it's about these two young teenage uh, Colombian, their brother, their brother and sister, uh, and they're supposed to go pick up this uh, tourist uh, who's going to be staying at their house, and they take their father's truck to go do it. Uh, but they accidentally kill this goat. It's supposed to be a lucky goat. That's the title, bad lucky goat. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they kill this goat. And the whole movie is about how they have to. Try. It's almost Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Yeah. They have to try to get that. They have to reconcile for killing the goat for one thing. They got to get that truck fixed, and they got to pick up that tourist, and they got to get it all done. And their father cannot find out. It's it is just so 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 funny. Absolutely wild, and you know you don't see a lot of that, a lot of films like this coming out of it. So, and there's also a little bonus short film on it called Miss World, which was also directed by the same guy. So, uh, Rene Goscinny, who created the Asterix comic books and the character of Asterix, uh, also did a book series called Little Nicholas, and that is the inspiration for Nicholas on Holiday from uh, Laurent Tirard. Um, this is a uh, this is a French film from uh, 2015. And it's just a sweet, charming little movie. Uh, there's nothing, it's not groundbreaking or anything. This is from Icarus Home Video. And, uh, you know, it's just following Nicholas and his, and his buddies. And uh, they're an interesting, motley little crew of kids. And then there's a girl who's a part of it as well. And uh, they're a wonderful little vacation by the sea. Uh, I would like to compare it to Pippi Longstocking, but that may be a negative comparison for some people. <laughs> so there, but there are some similarities. There's a little kind of a roll doll thing going on there uh. as well. Daughter of the Nile is a big deal. Uh, Daughter of the Nile is a 1987 film by Hu Xiaoxian, the uh, Taiwanese master, and uh, this is a crime drama from uh, the the uh, you know. Here's the thing with Hu Xiaoxian. Uh, mm. I love Ozu. But in small doses, Hu mm. Shen is like Ozu in big doses, mm. and uh, there are certain Hu Shen films that just bore me absolutely. Talk about, uh, stillness is their thing. Oh my stillness. gosh! Uh, the the Puppet Master. I, I'm going to tell the story again. I know I've told it before, but you know the Puppet Master, which won an award at Cannes in '92. I saw that with a couple of Swedish friends and uh, a Canadian friend, uh, Bruce Kirkland. Terrific British uh, Canadian uh, film critic, mm. and um, and I'm sitting there in the theater, and I fell asleep. I don't know half an hour in, <laughs> yeah. and I when I woke up, uh, half the theater was empty. Uh, and then I fell asleep again. The movie's like two hours and forty minutes long. It's you know, ridiculous. Justin Chang is going to hear this and be. Very I know, I know he is. And then, and then, you know, I fell asleep, and then I woke up again, and they were, they were, they were, they were just my Swedish friends and Bruce Kirkland who were laughing at me, because <laughs> now there are maybe eight people left in the theater. We constitute half the theater that's oh. left. And I think the only reason they stuck around was to just watch me sleep, because <laughs> apparently I was entertaining. Anyway, it's the most boring movie ever made, uh, and it won an award. Still, The Assassin is a cool film. That was his last thing, and yeah. uh, this takes you back to 1987, where he was in 87, and it's definitely a more interesting film. This is from uh, Cohen. It's a 4K restoration. It's definitely more interesting than a lot of his other stuff. Uh, it's a contemporary drama. It's, um, it's semi-based on a Japanese manga, and... Um, it all takes place in the uh, in the Taiwanese crime world, 
And uh, that's a bit of a, a switch up for, uh, for Hu Shaoxian in many respects. This film was not widely seen here. So this is going to be a revelation to a lot kind of people. Of really long. I like Flight of the Red Balloon. It was that's just a perfectly lovely little movie. See, it's that's only like, that's it's only more a, my speed. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that's more my speed. But uh, in any case, this is uh, this was uh, this is uh, you know worth seeing, especially if you're a, a fan of his. And there's an audio commentary on here by Richard Sushensky, uh, and a new interview with Tony Raines, who's just great. I've met Tony Raines, I think once, but he's uh, you know he's part of the club of Asian film experts, and he and he's terrific. Uh, poor Barbarella's getting all of her her stuffs get all getting ripped up. Yeah. Uh, you know the costumes on this thing. What was the? <laughs> I can't I can't even get into it. It's pre Victoria's Secrets. And then uh, a director named Jan England, uh, a film called One Fifty Four, as in the time, like one colon five four, the numerals. Uh, this is from uh, Breaking Glass, and uh, this is a um, a French language uh, LGBT film. That is very, very unlike what typically uh, you get in the genre out of Europe. Um, deals with a uh, a sixteen year old runner who's got all kinds of issues in his life with his family and his sexuality and everything else. And uh, running is sort of the only thing that he has, particularly the eight hundred meters, which is his that's his race, right? And um, uh, it's it's about how you know running is is his therapy and where what you know how it takes him to some kind of resolution with all of these other things that are going on in his life. Um, so it's you know even though nominally we could say it's an it's an LGBT film, I don't mm-hmm. want people to necessarily put it into that as a specialty division, you know, mm-hmm. like faith based or any of the rest of these. These mm-hmm. tend to sort of become genre ghettos in yeah, some respect. Exactly, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's not know, it's not always fair. It's not always fair, and certainly this film transcends that. So. So uh, I would recommend that. Uh, what are we gonna do? Let's. Uh, where are we at now? Um, uh, yeah, got new. Got TV. Let's do new. Let's uh, do new. A couple of new. Uh, one that's fun anyway uh, to do. Uh, that's new. It's fun. It's it's fun to call it new because it's a Tremors movie. Yeah. And here's the thing about the Tremors movie. First Tremors movie. Uh, you know, with uh, 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 Kevin Bacon and uh, Red Ward. Uh, 1990. Yeah. Uh, since then. Uh, there have been many more Tremors movies. Uh, let me see if I can get this up here. Tremors, O R. Yeah, I lost track. I lost track about a decade so we ago. Got, we got, the, the one that I have in hand is Tremors: A Cold Day in Hell. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's always funny to see which one of the old cast will show up. Yeah. Usually it's Michael Gross. Yeah. Usually. Right. Uh, but you know, every now and then, Kevin Bacon will show up too. Anyway, uh, 1990 was the first Tremors. 96, Tremors uh, 2, Aftershocks. Uh, 2001, Tremors 3, Back to Perfection. I actually like that movie. <laughs> 2000. <laughs> And there was a 2003 Tremors television series that didn't very la- last very long. Kevin Bacon was actually in that. 2004, uh, Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, which is an interesting title for a movie mm-hmm. <laughs> of which it is the fourth. Uh, and uh, then we skip on up to 2015 for some reason. I don't know why they didn't make one between 2004 and 2015. Uh, but Tremors 5, Bloodlines. Um, uh, which did not uh, star uh, Michael Gross or Kevin Bacon or Fred Ward or anybody in other movies. It's completely yeah. Now we got ourselves uh, Michael Gross and Jamie Kennedy in uh, Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell. Michael Gross is back. Amazing. They should have put that in the box. Michael Gross is back. <laughs> <laughs> it's set in Canada. It's absolutely ludicrous. I will admit that Tremors was just one of my favorite movies of that and The Thing, Tremors yeah. and The Thing. Those are the two. Those are my one-two 
of that dynamic from back in the day. This is a lot of fun, a lot of bonus features, a few bonus features on here, making of Tremors a Cold Day in Hell, Anatomy of a Scene, uh, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Kaleidoscope. Yeah. Uh, Toby Jones. In sort of a twisted thriller uh, about a man, middle-aged man, Toby Jones, and his very odd relationship with his mother. Uh, uh, it, it's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, movie is uh, and you know it's really sharp. Toby Jones can play diabolical little guys quite yeah. well. Uh, he's in Wayward Pines, which is his television oh, yeah, show. Yeah, 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 I remember Wayward Pines. Yeah, yeah, and he, he's he's quite good in that kind of stuff. Anyway, both bonus features include uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and some featurettes and a little bit more. Kaleidoscope. The Followers is uh, one of these sort of modern movies or movies that look at modern culture and mm -hmm. try to find something horrifying in it. Yeah. Which is easy, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> That's like super easy. Uh, these, this one has a sort of social media, media couple, a couple, couple yeah. that's famous in social media. Yeah. Uh, and they go out camping to do something. And then now they, 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 a stalker uh, illustrates for them how easy it is uh, to be found yeah. no matter where you go if you use social media yeah. too much. They use it every day. He finds them and terrifies them. It's actually, you know, it's actually kind of a creepy film, uh, but it's trying to make that point. That yeah. These movies always try to make, oh, be careful of your social media. Yeah. Uh, Maya the Bee movie, uh, Maya the Bee 2, Honey Games. This is just the cutest little Why movie. Why would they make a sequel for that? Why do you Did the you? first one make any money? Uh, no, it must of course. Have. Yeah. Do, uh, the hero? No. Oh, no. no. No, not Maya the Bee. No. Well, can't, won't do it? She wants to squash bees right now. <laughs> not, not, not a good thing. She'll, uh, she'll be taking her little fly swatter and smacking it at the, at the, at the TV. That's kind of cute. Anyway, whatever. I suppose there's some kids someplace somewhere who might like it. There is a featurette on it, The Making of Maya the Bee 2. Uh, so I'm going to move to some listener mail right now. i got a really, really good one in from uh, Jason Lair. Who asked us, he said, I've heard you guys refer to some films as programmers, and producer Linda Obst refers to some films as platformers. She said, uh, studios are no longer in the platforming business. Would you please explain these terms and whether they are relevant in the movie ecosystem we have today? Thanks for continuing the podcast. Um, so uh, here's, here's the way that breaks down. Programmers, uh, back in the day when they had A movies and B movies, when mm. the studios were making top flight movies with movie stars that were, you know, Betty Davis, Humphrey Bogart, that was your A movie. And it would appear typically uh, on a double bill throughout the country. And the second movie on that double bill is something that, you know, is a B movie. It was made quickly. It was uh, usually a, some kind of a genre thing, a gangster thing, or whatever it would be. Film with, noir were always those movies. Yeah, it, and, would, it, it, was yeah. A second, it was a second tier thing. And that's what we mean when we talk about B movies. Uh, we're not talking about, like, you know, quality B. We're talking about they're the second film. I mean, kind of the same thing. But it, it, it means it was there was the A movie, which was the first one on the bill, and the B movie. Programmers kind of split the difference. Programmers were movies that... Uh, platformers. Well, platformers are different. Platformers... Yeah. platformers uh, uh, programmers are were the movies back in the day which would be either the B film in large markets or if you were playing the South mm -hmm. or the Midwest mm -hmm. or even like the Far West at that point, if you were like, let's say, Idaho, 
well, then you're not necessarily getting an A film. You're going to get a programmer and a B film. So uh, a, a programmer is it, it could could kind of split the difference. It was right in between A and B, and it's it, they were usually films that were respectably well made but very predictable. So when we talk about a programmer today, we're saying, all right, it's decent, it's well made, but it's utterly predictable, and we've seen it a million times before. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the term has come to mean. So the genre and the scale uh, of of the film and yeah. and, and, and is what you, it's what you're discerning what you're talking yeah. about when you talk about programmers. Yes, and they are wide release movies. Platformers are not typically initially wide release movies. Platforming is the practice of we're going to put a movie out on one screen in L.A. and one screen in New York, for mm -hmm. example, and we're going to platform it. We're going to let those markets be the platform mm -hmm. that gets the word out, that, get, that spreads the, uh, the word of mouth, that uh, you know, generates the publicity, gets some awards. Usually happens at the end of the year in December. And then once they get some nominations and some awards and critics groups and this and the other thing and people are aware of them and they're on the radar, then around about late January or you know, early February or maybe the week of Oscar nominations – Boom! You blow it out to eight hundred theaters, a thousand theaters, whatever it is. Oh, and whatever, whatever uh, the sort of uh, accolades earn it. It used to be that they would do platforming for all kinds of movies back yes. in the day. If you're going to, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, right uh, through the nineties, frankly. Yeah. Uh, you, it, frankly, independent filmmakers would platform their movies. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, and uh, or walling and, is uh, a way uh, of platforming uh, 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 yourself. Um, um, uh, Mario uh, Van Poop, uh, Mario. Peebles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, bad, uh, badass. Yeah. Uh, he platformed that was you know he made the movie, put it in, yeah. you know, and, and, and rolled it out, got bigger. bigger and bigger than Nixon you knew yeah. uh, it got picked up and so that's that's a practice the studios don't really do anymore they want to release their movies into 4,000 theaters and then pull them back three months later and put it onto DVD and Blu-ray and step on to the next one they're, they're nursing a movie uh, tenderly over the over the lifespan of you know six or seven months mm -mm. is not what they do anymore. Well, I mean, the environment, the, the, the ecosystem is completely different of course because yeah. if you go back far enough there wasn't even uh, VHS True. The very next step for the film was second run houses. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then eventually uh, cut up for television. Yeah. Cut up and panned and scanned. Yeah. Uh, and then it went back in the vault. <clears throat> you know. True. Unless for some particular reason, you know, moving uh, TV movie nights and stuff like that. But the, now there's so there are too many more pit stops along the way uh, to true. let some film, uh, you know, hang around in theaters for a year and a half. Let's talk just for a minute about uh, some uh, some classic films yeah. uh, here for a second. We got a giveaway, and I'm going to do the giveaway right up at the top because the giveaway is the 4K Ultra HD edition, the 40th anniversary 4K Ultra HD of Greece. That's right. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, baby. Oh my God! Now what we're what Paramount is giving away. Paramount's being so good to us. Paramount's going to give away. A grand prize pack, which includes a T-Bird. Oh, wow. Some nail polish and the 4K. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, do what you want with the T-Bird and the nail polish. I don't care. I don't know if those two things even go together. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, anyway, it's a nice big old pack. You're, you'll have a great fun. The T-Bird will be the big, the big, the big deal. Um, 40th anniversary 4K edition of Greece with John Travolta and a much older Olivia Newton-John. And uh, it's just, it's terrific. It's got the, you know, the Blu-ray of the film, the 4K, uh, ex deleted and extended and alternate scenes, mementos, uh, all kinds of featurette looks back. It's just great. Uh, I have seen this in a, you ever seen this with the sing-along version? No. 
where they have the the, the words and the bouncing ball and <laughs> no. everybody sits in the Paramount Theater <laughs> together because that's the only place I have I ever saw it. Uh, and you just sing along. Greece is the way. It's, it's a lot oh, of fun. God. They're it's both really, so beautiful. It's just it's so much fun. Although and the that thing, clef in her chin is fake, his is real. <laughs> well, anyway, I just love this. Uh, you know, look at me. Uh, Sandra D. Uh, it's uh, this is just such a fun Stop film, and uh, and here's the thing, you know, with Colcoa going on right now, I every year at Colcoa there's always uh, a a thing like a shindig at Randall Kleiser's house, yeah, because he's a big big booster of Colcoa. I have never been. <laughs> oh really? In like ten years, I've been involved in this in this festival, and I've never been to Randall Kleiser's house. I'm gonna have to remedy that one of these days. Anyway, so go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com, either one, and uh, put Greece in the subject <laughs> line, your name and your um, address in the, uh, the body of the email. And as long as this gets to us by uh, Friday, May 4th, Friday, May 4th, uh, we will uh, we will pick a winner and get back to you the following week and uh, let you know what to expect your fantastic 4K Ultra HD grand prize pack of Grease 40th anniversary edition from Paramount. Uh, can't say enough about that movie. It's just loads and heaps and gigantic piles of fun. Yeah. Um, Liquid Sky came out in a collector's tin a little while ago, which immediately sold out from Vinegar Syndrome. And then uh, was selling for obnoxious amounts online. And I think those people may feel like mud now because they have now done a just regular edition that is not the Collector's Tin, uh, which has all pretty much all the same extras, director's introduction and uh, isolated soundtrack, outtakes, alternate opening, uh, rehearsal footage, all this fantastic stuff. Um, interview with uh, Slava Sukerman. The uh, the producer and director, uh, it, it's all you know. This commentary tra- commentary track by Zuckerman, it's it's all really terrific. This has been restored from the original thirty five millimeter negative. Liquid Sky is a legendary film. Uh, it yeah. is a legendary cult film that was a huge huge thing. I was in high school when this thing came out, nineteen eighty two. Uh, it's a big deal, yeah. and it, it kind of captures not only the indie scene of the 80s, that transition into the whole kind of uh, indie filmmaking obscura of the 80s that's very different from the 70s, but it um, it captures um, kind of an avant-gardist sensibility. Oh, absolutely. That w- right? Yeah. That was part of European filmmaking at the same time. Yeah. So I, I just think Liquid Sky is just an amazingly cool it, movie. It, it comes out of the tradition of the film that's playing behind us to a certain extent. Uh, to Barbara Brella, yeah. Was, you know, slightly darker because, you know, he yeah. was... He was um, uh, Soviet Russia. Yeah, and he went to Israel for a while. And uh, it's and it's very much you know it's 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 very much a part of that New York, um, the kind of club scene, new wave scene yeah. that was the, the the whole neon sensibility there is is it's what gave us uh, all, all those street artists. All, Jean Michel Basquiat. Uh, yeah, gave us gave us all. Its, you know, I was running around New York and yeah, and, Keith and, Haring, Keith Haring, yeah, right, all, all those, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very much a part of that whole that whole scene. So, um, fantastic 4K restoration from the negative. It, the hairstyles, the the makeup, the neon, everything will just uh, completely blow your mind. It is uh, it's a great film. Liquid Sky from uh, Slava Zuckerman, who never really did anything else this this influential. It's mm. it's uh, kind of a bummer. Um, and then from uh, from Kino, we got a few things here. Oh, yeah. um, We've got a couple of animated things from the Depati Freeling collection that continues to be uh, exploited, and then a couple of live action things. 
the fr- Depati Freeling titles are The Dog Father, which is like my least favorite of the Depati Freeling things. Uh, the Dog Father is just a little bit too obvious of a pun, and it's not their best animation, but it does come with a couple of really great documentaries on it uh, Chips Off the Old Blockbusters and uh, Tales of Production. Um, and production overload. Those are both interesting. There are also audio commentaries on here from Mark Arnold and Jerry Beck and Greg Ford, along with cartoon uh, writer William Hohauser. The better one for my money is Mr. Jaw. Mr. Jaw is a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of uh, unfortunately forgotten, it, but it's really it's really quite clever. I'm just watching the S&M stuff here that's, that's now happening in Barbarella. <laughs> this film is so much more risque than I actually remember it. Maybe it's just... I'm focused on it right now. Uh, anyway, all of the same documentaries are, of course, present on here and audio commentaries by the same group of people. But here's the thing. In the 1970s, around about the time when Jaws was a big deal, um, uh, Mr. Jaw kind of it took advantage of that in a very, very clever and wonderful way. And uh, I think um, maybe better than, say, the Hanna-Barbera people were doing with all of theirs. Uh, it's well animated, it's smart, it's sharp, it's well written, and, uh, you know, Artie Johnson as the, uh, as the, the great white uh, shark of the, of the title is just uh, incomparable, absolutely terrific. So 34 episodes of Mr. Jaw, highly recommended. And uh, the other two from Kino, the live action ones, are uh, a couple of old fantastic uh, noir-era classics from the 1950s. The first is Ruby Gentry with Jennifer Jones and Charlton Heston and Carl Malden, directed by King Vidor. You cannot possibly care what this is even about. All you need to know is King Vidor directs three of the the greatest actors of the generation. It's fantastic, and uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Screenplay by Sylvia Richards, I should point out, who was one of the great female screenwriters at a time when women were increasingly not writing a whole lot of movies anymore. And uh, this is just absolutely terrific. You know, the, the character that Jennifer Jones plays in here uh, is uh, kind of one of, the, one of the great strong female roles of the period. Not typical of what Jennifer Jones did normally, uh, but she's just, she's a, she's a real tough, tough, tough lady in this one. Comes from, you know, the, 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 the bayou, the, the deep swamp area. And, uh, you know, she's, she's pursuing Charlton Heston and not the other way around, necessarily. A Woman's Devotion, directed by Paul Henreid, who also acts alongside Ralph Meeker and Janice Rule. Uh, this is a brand new HD master from a 4K scan of the original 35 mega, uh, millimeter negative and positive separations. Now, I want to make clear that's exactly what's going on here. The separations are um, what you do with, uh, with, with color film to preserve it. So you make black and white prints that are color sensitive in different ways. It's kind of like three-strip Technicolor, uh, people should know, meant you were shooting a movie with three simultaneous uh, strips of black and white film, which were each color sensitive in different ways. And then you would marry those with dyes in the post-production process and that created your color. So uh, to preserve this film, this which was shot in true color, uh, the they shot it in in uh, they shot it in true color and then separated it, and then they took those original thirty five mil thirty five millimeter negative and positive separations, and they restored those and did a four K scan of it, and that's what this is taken from. So 
a lot of work went into this. Uh, Paul Henry, you know, not known as a director, basically known as an actor, and uh, does a great job here with uh, a fascinating kind of a pseudo-noir um, about a couple who go to Acapulco for their honeymoon and uh, wind up in a, you know, like kind of a crazy Hitchcockian murder uh, scenario. It's really, really interesting. It is a, it's a thriller, it's a noir, and yet it's something more than all those things. It's, uh, it's really, really interesting. So uh, I, would, uh, I would say you got to see this. This is just a really, really smart film made by Republic at the time, really daring, very typical of what Republic was doing to kind of push the envelope and, and create something new. So mm. terrific. Uh, that one is from 1956, and uh, Ruby Gentry is from 1952. Great movies from 1952. Good, solid noir style, both of them. Uh, from uh, the cri- folks over at Criterion, uh, I have Jim Jarmusch's 1995 film with Johnny Depp, Dead Man. Uh, which is another film that I ever that I particularly ever particularly like. I love. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jim Jarmusch, generally speaking. You know, yeah. Ghost Dog, all that. Uh, this film is this film is uh, you know more interesting than it is good. Basically, it's about <laughs> a guy who who's been shot, uh, and he's dying through the whole yeah. film, and he ends up out in the West with this Indian, a Native American, uh, uh, called Nobody, and it's all about his journey uh, in, 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 into death, really. Yeah. It's really, it's all that's going on in the movie as he sort of walks around and rides around. One of the last really interesting performances Johnny Depp gave before he... Started playing that pirate. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, Which was only interesting once, Johnny. <laughs> only the one time. Uh, nevertheless, uh, 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 this Blu-ray uh, is um, uh, approved by Jim Jarmer's uh, uh, 4K digital restoration. Quite, quite beautiful. Uh, and all kinds of neat, neat things here on this uh, Criterion Collection DVD. Uh, the other one from Criterion Collection is Sofia Coppola's uh, Virgin Suicides. Her debut. Yeah. Her debut. Uh, uh, I think we knew she was something special oh, already yeah. at this time. That, that, that this, this marked her as a uh, director separate and apart from her father. Yes, it did. Uh, uh, that, that was, uh, and, and, you know, self-assured. Um, uh, from a Jeffrey Eugen- uh, Eugenides, how do you say his name? Uh, 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 the, the novelist. Oh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I mess yeah. it up all the time. But it's from this novel, and it's about these sisters uh, in 1974 in Detroit in this well-to-do neighborhood. And I love this movie because it's told from the perspective of, of, of these, these three or four boys. I think it was three boys. And this movie gave us Josh Hartnett. Uh, this movie gave us, uh, let's see, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Well, Kirsten yeah. Dunst actually. It, 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 it established her as something as, something as a grown up. Yeah, after, yeah. after, after the uh, interview with a vampire yeah. uh, sort of thing. And um, it, it's just a, really a heartbreaking movie uh, uh, about this thing that happens uh, in this family uh, in 1974. These three lovely, with these lovely sisters. Uh, and James Woods and Kathleen Turner play their father, and um, he's very strict and very sort of you know religious. And it's uh, and you know I, I suppose what happens is in the title, <laughs> yeah, the Virgin Suicides, and it's just sort of heartbreaking. Yeah, film. and it was really really beautifully shot. Uh, Criterion Collection, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, and then uh, let's see, we got some TV, and you know I'm gonna do some of the the, uh, the Asian theme stuff. I probably okay. should have put the Hu Xiao Shen thing into this pile, but uh, I'm gonna dive into this. We got some cool uh, cool Asian titles here. From Arrow Video, Sage and Suzuki, The Early Years, Volume 2, Border Crossings, the crime and action movies. So Sage and Suzuki, part of a, a class of Japanese filmmakers that are not new wave. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're, not, they're not really uh, breaking any new ground in the art of cinema. But what they are is they're really dipping their toes into, uh, into genre films in a really interesting and invigorating way. 
My personal favorite is Kinji Fukasaku, who I think uh, is the all-time class master uh, mm-hmm. uh, as far as Yakuza movies go. But Seijin Suzuki, really in the same class uh, as far as uh, dealing with those subject matters in Japanese cinema. Suzuki, also a huge influence on Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kill Bill uh, Part 1 has a lot of just raging homages to Suzuki, you know, mm-hmm. that all that silhouetted against stuff against the neon. That's really all uh, all kind of stylistic. Uh, those are stylistic imprimaturs that he came up with. Um, so anyway, in the 1950s and 60s, he made a number of really, really legendary crime films. And um, these are, the ones included here are Eight Hours of Terror from 1957, The Sleeping Beast Within from 1960, Smashing the O-Line from 1960, and uh, the last two are Tokyo Nights, 1961, and the same year, The Man with a Shotgun. Um, you know, these are, these are really, really fascinating movies, one of which is fascinating because it takes place in uh, the Chinatown in Yokohama. Mm. And I'm thinking, a Japanese city has a Chinatown? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's news to me. That's kind of fascinating, uh, given the rivalry between yeah. the, the two countries historically. Yeah, that, that little invasion. Is there is there like a is there like a little Tokyo somewhere in Shanghai? Yeah, I, I, Nanking. Nanking. Yeah, yeah that, that, that wouldn't that wouldn't oh, fly very well. So uh, anyway, there these are really really interesting. And then um, you know, Man with a Shotgun is interesting because it's uh, it's it's technically considered a Japanese western. Uh, so anyway, these are all really really interesting films. And uh, you know, Suzuki is is one of the great stylists of the history of cinema, and definitely should be uh, should. So if you if you have volume one, you're definitely going to want this. If you don't have volume one, check it out anyway. Mm. Uh, the Woman Who Left is by um, a Filipino filmmaker named Lav Diaz. This won the Gold Lion uh, at the 73rd uh, uh, Berlin Film Festival, and uh, it's a it's a bit of a big deal. It's a little. Uh, this is. I mean, if you aren't familiar with Philippine history. It might be a little bit much to sort of wrap yourself around uh, because this takes place over many, 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 many years and uh, and deals with it, uh, incidents and events and characters that sort of um, connect to things that are probably me- more meaningful if you're a Filipino than uh, than, than not. But um, there is a there's a sort of an epic Russian sensibility to it that is really really interesting. And Filipino cinema is not typically renowned around the world. There are a number of Filipino filmmakers who are really emerging. Mm-hmm. It's not really a functional industry right now. It doesn't have you know crews and facilities and all those things. But these these filmmakers are emerging. Mostly, the Philippine industry is best known for a lot of American independent films that yeah. were made in the 1950s. You know, kind of World War II movies about things that happened in the Philippines. Yeah, and, and of then, course, of course, some of the uh, black exploitation cats went that to the they Philippines did. in the early well, 70s and made at the at the same time that there were a lot of Filipino vampire movies being <laughs> yeah, made. Being, yeah. I have a friend who loves Filipino vampire movies. <laughs> loves them. They were all made in the 1970s and the late 60s, and they are cheesy as can be. But for some reason, he can just sit on his butt and watch Filipino vampire movies for hours on end and laugh himself into a complete and total stupor. Um, Anyway, this is a long movie. It is four hours long. And uh, it is really very all-encompassing, but it is worth it is worth the investment eventually uh, to watch this this giant kind of war and peace-like saga. Uh, let's see, the others here I'm going to cut through uh, fairly quickly. Along with the gods, the two worlds is from Welgo. Uh, this is one of the better uh, one of the better new 
modern kind of Hong Kong styled mainland films that uh, you know have sort of I think uh, taken the the action sensibilities of of action fantasy films that were part of the Hong Kong New Wave in the '90s and most of them are just really clumsy and they, they, their budgets are too big. This is actually a lot better. This is uh, in those same sensibilities, but I, I enjoyed it a lot more. It's, uh, it, you know, it's uh, basically about a, uh, a firefighter who goes to uh, the netherworld, the, the afterlife, whatever you want to call it, and um, has to sort of go through a, uh, a Shaolin kind of test in order to come back to the earth. It's, uh, it's an interesting idea. And it's really executed with a lot of uh, panache and, uh, and artistry, along with the gods, the two worlds. That's on Blu-ray from Wellgo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the other end of the spectrum is the new Choi Huck film, The Thousand Faces of Dunjia, D-U-N-J-I-A. You know what? Uh, I love Choi Huck, who wrote and produced this. I love Yun Wu Ping, who directed it. They are both legends. I could not make hide nor hair of what this movie is about. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I thought I loved the look of it. I loved the style of it. I, uh, I I I was I welcome these two great filmmakers coming back and doing it, but I honestly, this is my corner of the universe. I love the normally I love these movies, but um, this whole kind of it's a wuxia film, and uh, it's it it it's got like dealing with you know supernatural secret societies. And the it, these epic struggles, and then there is like some kind of an ancient monster who's threatening humanity, and I just didn't really follow it well at all. So the the the, the mythology here threw me for a loop. Still beautiful to look at, but you know whatever. Uh, and then we've also got Ichi the Killer, ah. the famous, the great Takashi uh, Miike film. Uh, this is this is a really kind of a, a creepy, gruesome, but highly stylized film. Uh, this is out in a new 4K remaster uh, on Blu-ray. Again, remastered in 4K, but it's a Blu-ray release, not a 4K release. This is also from Wellgo. Audio commentary with Mike and the manga artist uh, and writer Hideo Yamamoto. Now, I just want to point something out. This has an audio commentary with Mike. Mm. Get this and listen to it, even if you're not a huge fan of the film. I love Mike, not such a huge fan of this film, but uh, the audio commentary is fantastic. Mm. It's just really, really. Mike doesn't appear in public very much. No. He's, you know, I. And when he is, he doesn't say anything. Andy and I did a, did a commentary for Mike's Gozu, uh, which. You know, as I've said here before, is really just Andy and Wade sitting there going, "That's pretty weird, Andy." <laughs> You're right, Wade. That's really weird. We did that for two hours, and it, it got turned into a commentary. Uh, um, but we also interviewed Mike uh, the same day we did the commentary, and uh, he's a weird dude. <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. He's a talented man, but he's a weird dude. Is he? Is he Nick? Nick Rogue weird? No, he's like. Um, He's like, uh, what's uh, what's his name? The actor who did the Brown Bunny. Uh, uh, oh, Vince, Vincent, uh, Vincent Vince, Gallo. Uh, Vince Gallo. Yeah. Okay, he's like Vincent Gallo weird. If Vincent Gallo wore, you know what? Here's what it is. He's <laughs> like a cross. He's like a cross between um, uh, Wong Kar Wai and uh, and Vincent Gallo. That's what he is. Ah. It's like a cross between the two. It's it's weird. He just wears sunglasses and he never looks you in the eye. He'll look in the opposite direction from where you, from where you're sitting, and he'll mumbles. It's just he's not. Well, dude. The, the, then the filmmaking sensibilities are one cars. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, then. Yeah, very much so. 
kind of, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And then my last two here is the very entertaining A Taxi Driver, uh, which was much more entertaining than I ever expected it to be. Uh, this is uh, takes place in 1980. This is a Korean film. Uh, and, and it's not anything like Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Don't don't let that kind of scare you away. Uh, no, this is about <laughs> uh, this is about a um, uh, a a Korean taxi driver who is having a really hard time, and he's hired by a foreign journalist to take him to uh, the city of Gwangju for the day. And uh, all in 1980 was a big momentous year in the history of of Korea of South Korea for those who don't know, because there was like a there was like a coup that year. And, you know, South Korea was not always as stable as we think it is. Mm -hmm. If you're from our generation, you know that there was a time when people looked at South Korea and North Korea, and it was kind of a flip of the coin over which one was more oppressive. South Korea got their act together. Uh, North Korea went, just got worse. Um, you know, it used to be just a, you know a, a peninsula divided by military dictatorships that almost didn't matter. So anyway, but uh, this is about that very momentous year, and you get a really interesting cultural perspective through the you know the, the taxi driver and the journalist, and it's just a it's a really really interesting movie, and it's a great uh, it's a it's a it's really a terrific film. You should check it out. That's on Blu-ray, and then lastly um, is the wonderful Once Upon a Time. Uh, once upon a time, we've also got a giveaway of. So send us an email to godsatdigigods.com or uh, godsatcinegods.com and put uh, once, just O-N-C-E, in the subject line, your name and your address in the body of the email. Make sure it gets to us by the 4th, and uh, we will uh, have our little drawing that weekend. Once upon a time is a is a really cool... Chinese fantasy film based on the uh, the novel Three Lives, Three Worlds, Ten Miles of Peach Blossoms. That's such a perfect Chinese title. Yeah, yeah. You know, those long yeah. poetic titles. Uh, but I've, you know, I'm not familiar with the novel, but it is a it, visually, this is absolutely mind boggling. This is an unbelievably beautiful film. A, a fantastic fantasy journey. It is romantic. It is poetic. Uh, it, 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 it just it spans the worlds of the immortals and the mortals. And uh, it just puts digital effects and, and real effects to great, great effect. It is, uh, you know, it's an epic romance. It's epic action. The design is through the roof. This is uh, really, really a tremendous film. And uh, I don't say that easily because a lot of these big flamboyant epics that have been put together through uh, through you know giant Chinese mega studios just are, have been so disappointing. But Once Upon a Time, based on three lives, three worlds, ten miles of peach blossoms, uh, is pretty terrific. So I've got to imagine that a lot of the credit goes to the source material. So that is also from Wellgo, and we are giving away two of those mm. to anyone who emails us at godsatdigigods.com or godsatcinegods.com. Put once in the title or in the subject line and your name and address in the body of the email. All right, Tim, we got TV. Let's wrap it out. All right, a little bit of TV here. It is extremely interesting to me that our Dwayne uh, Dwayne Johnson, who uh, has Rampage out there in theaters right about now, uh, tearing up the place, uh, also has a television series on. And yep. it has for three seasons. It's interesting that he can maintain. I mean, it's a you know, it's a it's a a, a, a cable series that he can maintain movie stardom while being on a television show. So yep. I have the third season of Ballers right here. 
uh, and uh, executive produced by Mark Wahlberg uh, and the guys from that Entourage series. What's interesting is on, uh, this show and Entourage are the same show. Yeah, uh, it's, it's <laughs> they kind of are. One is set in sports, and the other yeah. one is set in the movie business. And you got, uh, you know, you have Dwayne Johnson. He plays this uh, former baller who is now a high, high-profile agent. Uh, he's going through some issues. This season is about him getting himself together uh, and and and, uh, and yeah, coming out of rehab. And How does he have time for all this, it, dude? It's like an amazing Seriously. thing. Well, you know, he must have all the energy in the world. And you know what? He what else he spends some time doing? Working out. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he spends a little time you, in the you gym. Saw, Was that a cell phone commercial, that Super Bowl commercial, where he's doing like 850 different things, <laughs> yeah. and he's tossing the stuff around, he's grabbing his phone, he's getting on the helicopter, and he's doing this, and he's doing that, and then he walks in, and he shoots a commercial, and it's like, you know, that's not far off. That's not, it can't be that far off. Uh, Dude, anyway. he made $57 million last year, and he didn't make it off of just investing. He, no, he no. made it working. <laughs> yeah, He pay. worked. Those, work, that, that's yeah. $57 million in salary, doing jobs. It's interesting because right now I would have thought Man. that that would would have been uh, Vin Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's done fine and still doing fine. Yeah, but Dwayne seems to have taken that hardest spot. working hardest working man in showbiz. I tip my hat to him. He is awesome. So Ballers, uh, complete third season. Genius was a really neat uh, series. So beautifully shot. I like that. Jeffrey Rush uh, uh, plays uh, the older uh, Albert Einstein yeah. uh, in this movie. Uh, Jamie Johnny Flynn. Plays the younger Albert Einstein and Emily Watson in the series. It's just a beautiful, beautiful series that not only manages to walk us through the life of Albert Einstein, uh, but it walks us through the work of Albert Einstein yeah. uh, and sort of explains it as it goes and it uses all sorts of little tricks and gimmicks yeah. that they can do now to do it. Uh, and, and, and just a really, really neat thing. And from National Geographic, uh, you know, so it's one of those things that's kind of a it's, a, it's a movie, but it's a movie with an intention. Uh, in a sort of a documentarian's uh, set of um, uh, concerns. Yeah. Uh, for this set from uh, National Geographic, uh, Dear Murderer, Series 1. <laughs> <laughs> what's, in, what's most interesting about this uh, uh, series, this is from New Zealand, now in New Zealand, is that it's about uh, this guy who's a real guy. Uh, it's based on a true guy, a guy named uh, Mike uh, Bungay. Yep. Uh, who uh, is just this hard uh, Knox uh, guy who came up rough and then uh, on a flip of a coin decides to go to law school. This is, you know, in the 60s or something like that and becomes a lawyer and, and becomes a very high powered lawyer and mostly sort of represents uh, murderers uh, and spies and people who have done all kinds of wacky things. And it's sort of an, it's an interesting life, this guy's actual life, and uh, in, in, uh, it's played out in the series here. Five episodes on two discs. Uh, here, not much in, by way of uh, special features. Uh, the Child in Time it was aired on Masterpiece on PBS. This is a uh, a British drama. With oh, Benedict, the, Benedict, Benedict uh, Cumberbatch and Kelly McDonald, both of them just really being terrific. Um, you know, it, it's funny because he's Doctor Who now, or, or uh, no, 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 he's uh, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange. He's Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, Sherlock, and he's Sherlock, yeah, yeah. and he still has time to do this. Doctor Who's um, a girl. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Who's a girl now. I get my doc, get my doctors confused. Uh, anyway, the uh, this is based on an Ian McEwan novel, and uh, it it's really beautiful and lyrical and, and crushing, uh, just and crushing. It's devastating, right? Um, guy who misses, you know, he's, he's his daughter's gone missing. 
and uh, he's sort of, tr- you know, his wife has left him and his life is falling apart, and um, he's trying to put it all back together again. And uh, it's just really, it's just beautiful and and beautifully, beautifully made. Uh, directed by Julian Farino, who I guarantee you is going to start doing features sometime soon. Yeah. Uh, Outlander, uh, season three. I like this series quite a lot. It's about this uh, combat nurse uh, during World War II. She's married. Yep. And in some bizarre way, she gets flung back in time to like 1740, whatever <laughs> Such, it is, you know. Yeah. Just, uh, and, 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 and due to a sort of cir- set of circumstances, has to marry this sort of Scottish, big Scottish sort yeah. of warrior guy. Uh, and, 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 you know, and a real romance. And what's interesting about it is that her, her husband, you know, in 1945, her life mm-hmm. in 1945, it's just so much different than her. And that's the thing. She's torn between these sort of two very – it's a really, really neat series. Beautifully shot, wonderful costumes. I love the the, the countryside. It's just also uh, so good. So uh, Outlander, uh, quite a lot on this Blu-ray, uh, including uh, let's see, some deleted scenes and extended scenes and uh, some different alternate endings. Very interesting. And uh, lastly, we we have Vice Principles, the complete series. This was an HBO original series, only lasted, well, you know, one season. But um, it, it, it's pretty darn funny. I just yeah. don't think they, they promoted it very well. Danny McBride and Walton Goggins, who are both enormously funny and hugely talented, uh, play a couple of guys who go to this uh, uh, high school in the South and um, basically try to sort of take it over. And uh, you know they're 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 ruthless Machiavellian administrators, and uh, it, it's just it's 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 almost in the same vein as election. Yeah, I want to say right, except you're at the administrator level and not the kid level. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it really it's very funny and uh, it's eighteen very, episodes. I thought it was kind of cool. It's it's cathartic if you if you hated high school like I did. Yeah, uh, and some great supporting performances too. It's a, it's a lot of fun. This also comes with an ultraviolet digital copy. Yes, ultraviolet is still around because HBO is still on board with ultraviolet mm-hmm. along with Paramount and Lionsgate. So you know the ultraviolet coalition was divided. Half of them went over to movies anywhere. It may very well be entirely folded into movies anywhere. I think it will eventually. It's just a matter of how the conversation happens. Why HBO is still there and Warner Brothers, who is also part of the Time Warner empire, is now with movies anywhere, I don't quite understand that. But nonetheless, Mm. uh, we will see where those things go in the future. That's Vice Principals, a complete series from HBO, Danny McBride and Walton Goggins. With that, Tim, we'll be back next week. Yep.